All right, okay, game faces, game faces. Three, two. Attention all subjects of the Terran Empire. Welcome to Spock the Empire. You will enjoy this week's episode. Joining us today, our honoured guest of the Empire, Christopher, a.k.a. The Great Merman. And joining, as always, the Emperor himself. Gregorius Maximus Momius, Krabitas of Ginger. Terra firma, terra firma, terra firma. Welcome, Christopher, to Spot the Week. Thank you for joining us. Where are you joining us from for the listeners at home? I'm joining you guys from uh, lovely Minneapolis, Minnesota in the USA. Sweet. I mean, I could talk to you about that for hours after, but that's when we're here to talk about Star Trek, so we'll leave. <laughs> we'll leave. We'll leave can we that. About, to... Can we talk about Prince first? Can we talk about what? Christopher, did you? Can we talk about Prince? Chris, did you ever meet Prince? Did you know Prince? No, I'm not. No. Oh. No, I, I, I uh, actually, my buddy, a friend of mine's dad actually went to high school with him in Bloomington. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. that is so cool. And uh, unfortunately, I guess they did not get along. So <laughs> that's basically the closest I have to a Prince story. I have been to First Avenue many a times for various events. I was actually down there the night he passed away. Unfortunately, there was a big block party celebration to kind of commemorate what Prince meant to kind of the community and to everybody else. Mm. So that was great. Just a great vibe down there. Just, you know, everyone kind of this outpouring of, you know, I want to say sadness and mourning of and celebration of this artist's life. So I have to, I have to say he's one of my favorites. I think the, the album Sign of the Times is abs- absolutely brilliant. Got a video, a DVD of the Sign of the Times tour. It was recorded mm-hmm. in Paris and it's just absolutely brilliant. Gigi's got absolutely no idea why we're talking about Prince now. I'm guessing I missed a lot of the pre-show chatter here. And uh, no, if, no, if, no, actually not really. If, if you're, so if you you're want to tell him, or should I? We've not even started them off on a tangent. No, please, uh, please uh, let our listeners at home know why we are talking about Prince. Well, Edinburgh so, had uh, Sean Connery, Minneapolis. Had Prince. Had Prince. Has, has Prince, yep. Uh, Paisley Park is just north of here where he would record, I, and he lives. It's I have friends of mine who would actually go up there and take tours even before his passing. A lot of my friends are actually really big Prince fans, so it's great to see that. And actually, when we had the Hard Rock Cafe here, they had one of his guitars and some of his original sheet music in a display, kind of on this like little tour. If I remember correctly, maybe I'm wrong. I think he gave a lot of money just to kind of help make sure that sort of museum went up um, and just was very supportive to donate items for it. Yeah, he's always been kind of a big deal here. It's nice to have him as opposed to Bob Dylan, who lived here for one semester in the 70s or in the 60s. And everyone's trying to claim Bob Dylan came from Minneapolis. <laughs> well, right. I, would, I would for, take for like four I would months. I would take Prince yeah. over over sure. uh, Bob Dylan any day, but I mean, not to impugn Bob Dylan's work. Definitely. Oh, I know. It just <laughs> Prince had more of a local impact, just with him living here longer than Bob Dylan, who lived here for like four months in the six. And just the fact that like Paisley Park is where he did a lot of the recording of everything he did. First Avenue, where Purple Rain was filmed, is literally right downtown Minneapolis, off of uh, First Avenue and uh, and Seventh uh, Street. Uh, so that's why Seventh Street Entry is called Seventh Street Entry because it's literally Seventh Street and First Avenue. So right across from the Target Center. Oh so, yeah, it's a great 
great vibe down there too. When well, if you if you've just if you've tuned in to Spot the Week this week, expecting a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, as soon as we mentioned <laughs> Minneapolis, you know, Greg Ergus got us going off and was like, I love Prince. I was talking about that for it's, Listen, infinite diversity and infinite combination. Oh, no, I don't mind. Uh, this is fun. You, uh, you are correct. It's nice to have Minneapolis uh, noticed for Prince as opposed to some of the more recent stuff we've been known for in the news lately. Yeah. So, yeah. Which we will uh, very delicately dance around at this particular point and segue back onto our... I would well, rather Greg... talk about the topic of the week. So. Yes. <laughs> So, Gregor, you were going to say something. Was I? Yes. I've, I've got plenty to say. I just don't know what it is yet. All right. Well, when you when you figure that one out, we'll we'll get to it. Um, so this week you've joined us here on Spot of the Week, Chris. You uh, decide you you chose as a topic for discussion the Mirror Universe. What drew you to that particular subject? In that particular topic. It's always a fun topic to discuss just because there's from this one episode, Mirror Mirror, in the original series, and Next Generation never touched on it. But DS9 went very much into it, and then it went into uh, into Enterprise, where they just kind of continued to expand upon it. And then, obviously, Discovery made it a major plot point of Season 1, and then parts of you know, Season 3 now. So it's just a very interesting to see how this one episode kind of kicked off this mythology of a parallel universe that's been, been built up over the course of over 50 years now. Even jokes now with the current climate right now, people joking about it being the it being the mirror universe so just kind of seeing what what we view as kind of our opposite of who we are would be or the opposite of this ultimately good that is the federation to the terran empire that you have kind of displayed and expanded upon oh definitely definitely somebody somewhere in the star trek community must have the terran empire crossing over for 2020 uh, in the sweepstakes <laughs> somewhere it's, it's got to be there somewhere the Mirror Universe episodes, uh, my particular favourite being the Enterprise um, venture into the Mirror Universe, because I believe that one is the the only one that actually completely is set completely. There's no crossover. There's no uh, going from the Prime to the Mirror Universe. That's the entire episode is the Mirror Enterprise. I, I, I would say it goes a little bit beyond that, because in the story itself, there is no back and forth between the, new, yeah. the two universes. However... Beyond that, it's as if the program itself was made in the Mirror Universe because they yeah. changed the theme tune, they changed the titles. So there's absolutely no concession at all to there being a Prime Universe, if you like. It's it's just right from the opening to... Well, the, the borrow, the, the only Prime Universe stuff is the stuff from First Contact, the, the footage from First Contact in the first 10 seconds. That, that's it. They, they use some footage from First Contact and that's it. But I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because I think I'll probably fanboy over this one later in the recording when we get to it. I don't want to say too much just now. All right, okay. Well, All right. I, I think, there you go. <clears throat> uh, I think the only thing that kind of passes over is the fact that the Mirror Universe is aware of what we would call the Prime Universe. Yeah. And uh, in, that, in that episode when Archer goes through the, uh, the Defiance pause and goes, you know, that, that Archer did X, Y, and Z. That Sato did X, Y, and Z. Um, and just with actual Defiant itself carrying over from uh, the Thulean web, uh, it itself uh, almost being kind of a, uh, a resolution to what happened to the uh, to the Defiant after it just dis- quote unquote disappeared in the uh, Thulean web episode of the original series, which was always interesting to kind of see where they decided to pull stuff from and how they made that happen. So that's uh, that's one I haven't got round to watching yet, and because I've barely scraped enough time to watch the other one, but it is on my hit list, <laughs> and I will be I will be watching it once we finish up t- with this one tonight. So or in the afternoon, yes. Hello from the future. I forgot to say that as well. It doesn't get any better, trust me. It's 
six hours into the future, it's still shite. (laughs) (laughs) For me, just briefly, we'll we'll be back and forth all, all through this. I'm of the opinion, as much as I enjoyed the episodes in Discovery Season 1 where they went to the to the Mirror Universe, I loved the fact that virtually everybody that was watching it had figured this out before it had actually happened because they'd all spotted the, the course change uh, that Lorca made into the uh, computer pad. Because, you know, there's always somebody mm-hmm. that just goes through each episode with a fine-tooth comb and zooms <laughs> in on everything, you know, and then we all found out. I enjoyed the episodes. I thought it was brilliant. I thought, unlike some, I am I do enjoy the the whole thing they've done with the mirror universe and the image and the the style and the way it's portrayed and that I think it was brilliant. I genuinely think it was too soon, but that's just it's not a bad thing. I just would have liked to have gone a little bit further down the line before we jumped into a mirror universe with them. But you like, see, you, you had to do it. You feel like that should have been like a season three arc as opposed to a season one arc. Possibly a season just to kind two. Of get more established. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's the, I mean, like I say, it's not a criticism of what they did. It's just more of a, I think it was just a little bit, let's let's get an episode and establish what Discovery is. Uh, sorry, a season and establish what it is and yeah. some groundwork and then push them in. I mean, depth at which they went into it, I think it was, like I say, it's just an opinion. So I didn't dislike it, but Greg would is... You, would, you like, <laughs> would you like my opinion? Oh, um... Uh, uh, episodes of Discovery. Chris, uh, do you have do you have a weak disposition uh, <laughs> or any kind of aversion to shite? Because <laughs> Greg is about to go. Wait, on do you mean curse words? Because I've been kind of known for that. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> if you watch half my Twitter feeds, uh, yeah, I, I'm not exactly one to uh, shy away so, from. Uh, so here's my opinion of the Discovery Mirror episodes. Brace yourself, folks. And I disagree with you about it being too early in the season because what they were doing, I thought that's the route they're going to go down. And in season two, it's all going to be about finding Prime Lorca in the Mirror Universe. And we could have done all this wonderful stuff. But no, we go Iron Woman Red Angel, who was her mum. No, no, it's definitely Burnham. No, no, wait, it's your mum. It's definitely not you, because it could it could only have been you. Oh, no, wait, it was your mum. Oh, no, wait, it is you. Ah, oh, Jesus, here we go again. Here we go again. Like, why did you bring it up? Because I just My knew. My niece is 13 and can write, can write better stuff than these jokers. Ah. Honestly, man. See, here's the thing, right? With the the mirror stuff, that was okay. They were actually doing okay in season one with the mirror stuff, and then for no reason, out of fucking nowhere, Giorgio just decides to chop everyone's heads off because the once upon a time read that everybody in the mirror universe is evil, and oh, let's let's just have her chopping everybody's head off when she does this frisbee thing, you know. Well, where, where did that come? What, what what was that come from? What hmm. purpose? What was our motives for that? And what purpose did it serve the story? Well, that's us it's getting just, kicked off a of Google podcast. That that was her trying to. That was the writers trying to cover continuity because nobody had heard about the uh, mirror universe prior to the episode. Right? No, no, I agree with you. I thought it was a dumb move. I, and I just there were, there are certain aspects of it that made sense but they're also the whole because it didn't show up in the original series they're trying to hide it in in discovery that they took too many writing liberties to do which i feel like if they if they're going to have this problem they should have said it after the original series five-year run or a five-year mission i would have been fine with that um just to kind of stop this whole it's you know kirk isn't captain the enterprise yet so we can't 
doing it would kind of change that. It's just that was just another sign of that I'm trying to use too many tricks to kind of keep, to keep the continuity, which I think caused more problems than it was worth. Well, you know, uh, uh, just for the record, saying I do enjoy discovery. So, but I'm not, you know, I'm a writer. I'm a film. I, I have a degree in film studies. I I'm just going to put it out there. So I'm more than willing to criticize things I love. So I, I'm just I'm just going to put it out there. I don't like discovery. Fine. And I think pretty, everybody it's, knows. It's fun, it's, there's, there are reasons I don't like it. No, no, it. that's fine. I, I'm um, it's great to kind of hear hear why, and I understand it. My my younger brother and I are very much Star Trek fans. It's something we've shared. He's 11 years younger than him. He's not taking this lot this way to season. And I'm like, that's fine. We can talk about something else. You know, we you don't have to you know watch the episode and be sitting there loving it. It's you know you're you know obviously the uh, writers listen to criticism about continuity because that's why it sounds like they moved the uh, storyline a thousand years in the future. Um, See, I don't know if that was a plan or if that was just criticism from fans after the first season. That's the only thing that bugs me about Discovery. It's I mean I enjoy watching it. I, I find it entertaining. What bugs me about it is they went oh we, we'll do this this and this. And then some, it just you can see in the way that it progresses that obviously somebody, like you say, somebody at the back's gone, um, yeah, that might be a problem because what you're doing contradicts canon and law and everything that's coming after you. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, well, in, and like you say, in that case, oh, let's, that's what I think spoiled season two for me was I think there was, it was going well, it was going well. And then all of a sudden, oh, we need to get rid of Discovery. We need to erase it from the timeline so that it does. Yeah. I mean, yes, I get the hat to do that because there's been. Yeah, no why don't we ever hear about Spock's sister? Why don't sit? Exactly. Yeah. I don't, exactly. I don't think the problem with Discovery is that they haven't watched Star Trek before. I think the problem with the writing and Discovery is that they haven't watched the previous week's episode of Discovery. That's the problem with Discovery. So never mind watching Old Trek. They don't watch last week's episode. That's the real problem with it. Uh, I can say the same thing about, uh, about some of Star Trek. It was like, all right, and another mission. It's like, but. But you guys don't build up, you know, that was some of my issues with TNG is I never built on anything from the previous week. You know, I, I lost track of who Troy, Riker, and Worf were dating at, at any given time. So, uh, that was a menage anyway, twice. So, it, <laughs> it was like, so wait, wait, are Riker and Troy still, you know, it's, you know, still together? Okay, this season they're not. Okay. Beverly, Beverly and Picard are, are lovey dovey in, in like before and after, whatever that episode was with the uh, cause and effect. That was the episode. I was like, Okay, are they together? Are they still just friends? Okay, suddenly, okay, now they're bringing up this real ship for 20 years later. It's like, can you guys please figure out what you're doing with these guys? Yeah. That, um, I think one of the frustrating one of the frustrating things about TNG was that they couldn't decide what concept they were going for if they were going for yeah. a fully episodic format or serialization and they ended up flirting. Yeah. They flirted with serialization and yeah. some of that came into character arcs. I think the only one that really has a fully developed character arc in TNG was Worf because we got all his Klingon stuff with Sins of the Fowler and the other stuff that he, the, other, the other episodes, what was that? The other one? Uh, Birthrights for one and two. Birthright, Birthright. Birthright one and two, yeah. yeah. We got it much more with Worf than we did with any other character. I, feel, I, feel I think right. we definitely got it with, with, with Data as well. Yeah. Where he yeah. went from young machine to experiment with emotions, losing his brother, basically getting a sense of his, himself and then kind of moving on with that, which kind of got, we got built up in first contact and generations, of course, with him trying to deal with emotionality. And then Nemesis, where he got to see kind of in, in, in some today's similar topic, a mirror version of himself with what he could have been or what he would be had he chosen a different path of not deciding to be more than what he was. I think that was the whole point of Nemesis was just showing a mirror image too. Yeah, and I think Picard wrestled with some demons in, in, 
in TNG, but he wasn't. He was still just who he was. He was kind of a fully formed human being at that time. He really didn't have any kind of growth arc. Tapestry was an interesting one because you saw more sides to him. You know, obviously you saw what would have happened if he had become the person that he chose to become following the fight with the Mossican. Yeah. Um, but a lot of, and I, I think family was a, well, it was more a mental health issue, how he dealt with that was, PTSD. Yeah, and that was very, you know, yeah, that was cathartic, very much so, of just watching you know, Captain Picard break down in front of his brother, nonetheless, too, the guy who tormented him all his life, and just the amount of regret he had regarding World 359. But I think, <laughs> I'm like, we're talking about, yeah, we hit the tangent point. But we've, this is the mirror episode of the mirror episode. This is what's happened. <laughs> Welcome aboard the USS Tangent. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to mark this or something. But uh, going back to like even Nemesis, we're going to talk about mirror episodes. Is just watching kind of the intrigue of uh, mirror, the, the intrigue of the mirror universe is seeing what our, our, our kind of favorite characters counterparts would be like. And you know, had they taken a different course, had to like treat them differently, like with Picard and and Shinzon. Of if you lived my life, is you would have made the exact choices I made. And Picard going, you know, if you lived my life. You know why I have to do what I have to do, and then kind of seeing that to when we had characters, especially in DS9, cross over and go, "How can you guys do this?" They're like, "I have no other choice." You know, as we dive into kind of the DS9 episodes of, you know, seeing kind of these evil counterparts of our heroes, like here as the attendant, um, you know, person who grew up, you know, a military fighter with absolutely no power, becoming basically, you know, called the cot in her own way. Yeah, but um, can can we talk about Kira's outfit as the attendant for a moment or two, please? <laughs> If you like, do, do, um, do you what do, do you want to be left alone for a few minutes there, Gregor? Um, yeah, I'm just going to switch my camera I, off. I'm going to switch my camera off for a few seconds. Oh man, was I think it was not my mom, man. Oh. I was um, Ve- I was at Vegas in 2017. I was at STLV, and um, is this the family? I, uh, I was at one of the panels, I was at one of the panels, and it was Rene Aubergenois and uh, Nana, yeah, was doing a panel, and she was talking about that outfit. And she said it, you can't. It was meant to look. It was meant to be leather, but it was actually rubber because obviously it's easier yeah. to quickly manufacture these things. And she says it was a, a nightmare for the sound editor because she couldn't move in it. So <laughs> just doing all this, you know, the intendant walk. JJ's not gone yeah. that far in Deep Space Nine, so he has no idea what we're talking about. She was doing all that intendant stuff with the walk with this um, very tight-fitting rubber yeah. leather-looking outfit. And every time someone was speaking or she was walking, all you could hear was, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> <laughs> the every time she had it on, they had the sound editor working overtime to edit out all the, the sounds from the outfit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it, is, it is true I, that yeah, I haven't okay. got that far in DS9 yet, but because we are we are trying uh, we are doing a watch through of it eventually, you know, because I've I've seen little bits here and oh, yeah. I've never I've never actually fully completely watched it all the way from from start to finish and that's the journey me and Gregor are going on at the moment <laughs> with this one so I'm looking forward to that one because Gregor's really going I'm to be I'm looking forward to that one again as well <laughs> sure you are uh, I, can, I can imagine that. I, mean, I never viewed it really that way sorry I, I kind of view half the, half the cast of like DS9 and TNG as like paternal figures so it's like Dude, you're talking about my aunt there uh, <laughs> like watching people kind of you know stand on you know gates and I'm just like dude that's that's my mom because um, my parents are about the same age as happy as all these cast members so it's like to so um that, that looks like a glass of romulan ale you've got there this is it looks like it yeah it's it's called i uh, i think it's uh ice blue gatorade oh for the for the for the listeners at home christopher just raised a 
Yep, I just yep. raised a glass it's, it's of, raised a, raised a glass of uh, blue liquid, Romulan ale, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah. so, Gigi, yes. what did you think of the Discovery finale, the Lord Knight? Oh, for crying out loud. You know what you're calling it, Discovery finale? You do this every single bloody time I tell you not to date the podcast. <laughs> Discovery finale did go out, the Lord Knight, didn't it? <laughs> In that cliffhanger, and then oh, when the Romulans show up, when the Romulans show yeah. up in the Narada, yeah, no, I totally love that. Eric Bannon was great. Yeah. I'm happy to see him again. Yeah. Good, good save, good save. You can come back JJ's on again. Had, JJ's has a bunch of blood right now. He's like, "There's two of you now." God damn it! Damn. Look, Chris, with all due respect, I've got enough dealing with him every week. <laughs> I don't need to be blindsided by t- from two directions. <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, engage the uh, Riker maneuver, I think. So, JJ, on a serious note, you watched yes. Mirror Mirror, did you? Yes, Is that I the first did. time you've seen Mirror Mirror? Yes, it's the first time I've seen, because one point I would like to make is I did not know that it was Mirror Mirror where we get that wonderful Monday morning meme of Captain Kirk. If you you know the meme I'm on about, the one um, meme or meme, I don't care how you say it, that's how I say it. But the yeah. one where it goes Monday morning and he walks out the turbo lift and, you know, gets uh, palmed in the face. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, the, the Chekhov guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did not know that's where that came from. So when I watched that bit, I was like, oh, okay. So that's where that comes from. Um, <laughs> so... It's also got the bit that they used in Trials and Tribulations. Yes. They're displaced in Cisco at the end. That's, um, I mean, to be fair, now you mention it, because I have seen the clips of that, because, um, you know, to be fair, as much as I haven't watched Deep Space Nine, I I would have to hide under a rock to not have some spoilers. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I didn't actually know that, but now you actually come to mention it, it does actually, yeah, it's, it's there, but... You know, for the first time I've watched it, I've, I've actually found it quite enjoyable. And I mean, I've never really been one for TOS, but I have recently started watching it through and I am enjoying it because even though it's a product of its time, it's still very much watchable today. You don't feel like you're watching something that's old. You feel like you're watching Star Trek. And this episode was no exception to that. I like how they have this sort of, that Spock is just as logical and use and that Kirk uses his uh, the logic at the end, you know, when he's giving him the speech, is it not logical that this can't sustain or this can't, you know, and I have a shocking memory, so I can't quote exactly what he said, but I thought that was pretty good at the end and how mirror spot helps them get off the ship at the, uh, towards the end and get back to their own universe. And may I say Leonard Nimoy with a beard. Yes, that he, he rocked that beard. Okay. Okay. I can see all this gender fluidity and sexuality stuff on discovery is no, starting to, to uh, affect you. Um, Nimoy with the beard is, is your thing. So, Hey, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. Honest, I don't don't mind. I'm not judging you. Hey, I can I can Please. tell I can tell another I can tell another person that they are a good looking bloke without having to you know. Yeah. At the end of the day, you can say that, and I think uh, Leonard Nimoy did rock that beard. I think I prefer Mirror Spock hmm. to regular Spock. Controversial, there you go. I think it's his cheekbones. Honestly, I think I think it's his cheekbones. Leonard has one of those faces that he can rock almost any look. Oh, but speaking of his beard, a two points I wanted to make. One, there's actually a band called Spock's Beard. Okay. Oh, my phone is reading the trivia. Yeah, I think it's IMDb trivia of Mirror Mirror. There's a band called Spock's Beard. 
weird. Um, and also South Park had a mirror, quote unquote, mirror episode. And uh, just to show that, I can't remember what season it was in, but like, uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker are like huge Star Trek fans. If you watch, you watch South Park, they will throw in references to Star Trek more than ever will Star Wars. But they actually had one that quote unquote took place in the mirror universe. And then even the kids all had, all had beards, just like Spock. So it even, it even, it even brought in that sort of motif of the evil person has a beard. And I think Dr. Who may have done something with it too, with the Brigadier at one point where, no, no, Brigadier did the eye patch, but I. Well, the, 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 the original, the original master and Dr. Who going back 40 yeah. odd years to when the master was first on, he had yeah. the, 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 the Spock goatee. Yeah, uh, exactly. And he came in in the mid seventies. So about you know, seven, eight years after this, when he was, no, master was introduced in 73, I think. Yeah. It's been a while. But yeah, that's the sort of evil character was always the guy with the, with the evil goatee, kind of like what I'm sporting now. Is that, is that, is that your cat coming out the closet? Sorry, I just had to go and let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, no, I thought it was letting the cat out of the closet, but uh, it's okay. I didn't see the video. I was like, what is he talking about now? It's like, is that you so, Oh, no, that's an actual cat. Yes, it's an so actual cat. To the, to, to you, the you, you, you alluded to it, JJ, but one of the things that struck me watching Mirror Mirror again, was that there wasn't an actual fact, an awful lot of difference between Prime Spock and Mirror Spock. I think there's quite a lot of difference when we get to Inner Mirror Darkly at around about three or four hours' time, the way the Vulcans are portrayed in Inner Mirror Darkly. Uh, <laughs> To, as they are to in Mirror Mirror, but my, Prime Spock and Mirror, Mirror Spock were very similar. Well, even Sarek in it, not, not, not Sarek, sorry. sorry well, even in Discovery, like Sarek was considered a very watchful, you know, was very much who he was, and he was also supporting the Spock beard uh, as well. No, you're right, uh, yeah. Um, you know, Mirror Darkly was, did have some issues with that. I think Inner Mirror Darkly is the best Mirror episode of Star Trek ever. I, I would agree I had with you. With was acting in that episode. I, w- uh, I mean, I, I would agree with you pure and simply on the point at which it was it was produced and it was made. Whole thing, as in like the way it was presented. Chris, uh, your your issues with it. So you've got. Do you want to delve into that a little bit more, or I? It was. You could tell the actors were having definitely having fun, uh, especially Linda uh, Parker played Hoshi uh, Sato because as opposed to playing this demure scared person, she was playing a very sort of very sort of very open woman who you know had fully command of you know kind of what exactly her goals and her desires. Whereas you know the Prime Universe one is still a bit timid and still a bit scared. so it was fun to kind of watch when to kind of take that and make it as her own especially with how that episode turned out i had issues with bacula's acting uh trying to be quote unquote evil or he doesn't do insecure he doesn't do evil very well and i've seen this mm, in yeah. his other acting too throughout the years where it just seemed it seems forced it's just it seems very unnatural to him you know it was fun to see trip do his you know everybody else was hamming up it was fun but it was just watching scott try and play the character he played just was just kind of took it out for me it was just like not you know everyone loves the episode and it's it's a fun foray but it's still that was like the only performance the main performance is what threw me off i mean uh who, who was ever played forster was great i absolutely loved him in that uh, but armstrong. armstrong and he's always fun to watch on, on screen too because he's played numerous characters throughout the years too but you know yeah i just i see i just really trying to pay much attention to scott like, Bacula's acting because I was I, I, I was mostly watching Oh she sat off Julian Blaylock's navel to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, just just Holy on the man, scene, I mean... on the subject of that, every episode where there was an away mission, the decon scenes at the end, you know, when they come back and they're rubbing. Oh, I come on, <laughs> the spa scenes, yes, rubbing oil on each other, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> what a great hey, kick hey, if you were hey, in there. Hey. You gotta you gotta admit though, there was eye candy for both the women and the men because you know, you know, I, I was about to turn make a freaking game every time Trip or uh, uh or Malcolm uh takes their shirt off. And I just you know, it was always like, Hey, there's something for the there's something for the ladies too, and just watching women just kind of still thirst over uh, over these guys nowadays and it's been fifteen years there. I think um, I think that was the only know. reason. And I'm, sure, I'm sure. I'm sure they had as much fun with it too. I've talked to Dom, and I've talked. I've, I've I've met Dom, and I've met. Man, I'm forgetting his name. Oh, my fear about that because I was Connor Trinier. Connor Trinier. Yeah, Con- Connor. I. Uh, I'm sure they have as much fun with it as anybody else too, because they know how cheesy it is. They know how. He, they know exactly what those moments are. They they don't think it's high storytelling either. I I've I've met Dominic Keaton. Came to Edinburgh Comic Con a couple of years ago, and you'll you'll like this bit, Gregor, because um. In the in the talk that he did, uh, he was talking about uh, how he was auditioning for the part in Enterprise, and they said, "Can you do?" Because um, as you know, he's he's quite uh, well spoken, posh spoken, and that. And they said, "Can you do a redneck British accent, you know, or a blue collar British accent, or something like that? You know, something a little bit more sort of down and dirty sort of thing, you know?" And he was like, "Okay, blue collar redneck, blue collar redneck." What, uh, and he went, ah, this is the only thing he could think of was a Yorkshire accent. And he he did um, he he did uh, when he did the audition, he was like, I was like, okay, then he was like, you bloody hell, so they're giving me these wrong bloody plasma coils again. <laughs> uh, but they went with the uh, they went with his original. Head. Do you think that's wise, sir? Honestly, I mean, tangent alert. Honest, I was watching the first few episodes of season one of Enterprise. I was like six or seven episodes in and I was shouting at the TV, just let him blow something up for crying out loud. Every episode is like, can I shoot it? Can I shoot it? Do I need, do I need guns? I was like, can I blow this up? No, put your, put your C4 away. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, going back to what we were what we were talking about. I believe it was uh, Justine Blaylock's naval, I believe you were talking about, Gregor? Oh. Justine Blaylock was in the Navy. Naval. No, naval. Or na- or just, <laughs> or you, or you brought it up then. Put your, no. <laughs> Oh, well, we want to talk about that. Let's talk about the uniform of how they chose to do the Enterprise uniform, where it was literally just the same one, but with like, you know, the mirror universe cut, which, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take the original uniform and just you know, let's just let's just cut the waste out of it. This is like you guys couldn't come up with something else. I mean, hey, I'm not. I don't, I don't think we see a Starfleet uniform in the DS9 Mirror Universe episodes, do we? There wasn't one because there was no there was no Terran Empire in DS9. No, it's gone. Yeah, so whatever. So, yeah, whatever, uh, so. the uh, it, it was the Terran Rebellion. Yeah. Because it basically fallen on, and maybe a bit of spoiler for you, JJ. But uh, so um, in DS9, they talk about uh, Spock's reform. Spock eventually, you know, became in charge of the Terran Empire, started all these reforms, and it weakened the Empire. And so you have the Cardassian uh, Klingon uh, alliance come in and basically destroy it. And so now Terrans are considered the rebels, which is a nice analogy to why they do start doing crossovers with DS9. Is that they're trying to recruit people and build stuff up for this rebellion against the Klingon Cardassian, you know, occupation uh, of sorts. So, uh, yeah, so it, it, it goes from a fun type to dichotomy as we talk about um, Enterprise of the Terran Empire being this fascist dictatorship that we're like, no, these guys are evil to, you know, DS9, we're like, well, now we're rooting for the Terrans to win because they're quote unquote the good guys, you know, two, you know, 100 years later, which has an, you know, interesting dichotomy. And they, of course, find a way to bring the Defiant in there. In there uh, once the, you know, the Defiant, you know, shows up in DS9, they, of course, have to bring that into the mirror universe as well. Quite, but, uh, quite um, it's just quite interesting how you go from, from you know, the one Empire fell, they're technically the bad guys to now we're reborn again. Because you realize, so, like, you want, you, want, you, want, you want the rebellion to win. So do you think out of all the, all the mirror, the, the versions of the mirror, 
mirror universe. One of the things I find fascinating about is I do genuinely believe in real life that there is such a thing as a parallel universe, that there there is multiple versions of ourselves in different different levels doing this. So every time we make a decision, if we come to a, a fork in the road and I decide to turn right. There's an instant creation of a universe where I turn left. Call me crazy, I don't care. I genuinely believe that's a thing. Just because it hasn't been proven yet doesn't mean, you know... I mean, let's remember there was a time when everybody thought the world was flat, and some people still do. That's a different conversation. Nobody, I'm just going to... I'm going to have to stop you there. I'm going to have to, because you've got... You've jumped on one of my bonnets oh. and my bee. Oh, shit, I've set him off. <laughs> Nobody. You did this, JJ. You did nobody, this. Nobody, right? <laughs> nobody believed the Earth was flat ever at all until the internet came along. The ancient Egyptians didn't believe the Earth was flat because they absorbed the obelisks in the north of Egypt. This is five thousand years BC. They observed the obelisks in the north of Egypt cast longer shadows than the. E- the obelisks in the south of Egypt and they worked out it was due to the curvature of the earth in relation to the position of the sun. So they worked out that the earth was round 5,000 years before Christ. The Romans knew it, the Greeks knew it, Christopher Columbus knew it. Nobody believed in the flat earth until the internet came along. And then we actually took pictures from the moon of the earth being round and spherical and everybody went oh that's not true, it's made up. Do you think that's actually the earth? Nobody believed it. I think it's a, it's a it's a fair nerve. It's just a different conversation. Yes, I've run, um, run out of flat earthers too. So it's like, like <laughs> nope, I've been there. I've I've been like, no, you're an idiot. But um, what was the question? What was the question? Anyway, but just before I go back to that, just before I go back to that, parallel universes is what he's um, talking about. Uh, yeah, I did actually bump into one of these flat earth society people in uh, in Inverness uh, a few years ago. Oh. And, if only you were a bit more rounded, I've bounced off you. Um. Because I went up to him and I just purely said, I said, so you believe the earth is flat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, if that's true, if that's really true, cats would have knocked everything off the edge by now. <laughs> Drop mic, walk away. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yes, parallel universes. I have heard people say that, but they're not, you know, they, they did this in the original series, they did this in Deep Space Nine, they did this in Discovery. Why is this different from this one? And why is that one different from this one? I think it's a bit unfair to compare them because if the the parallel universe theory is that there is more than one, there isn't just one parallel universe, there are multiple. I think it's called the multiverse theory, I think. Multiverse theory, yeah. Yeah. So who's to say that each time somebody from each one of these seasons, iterations, jumps from one universe to the other, who's to say it's the same one? It could be, it is a parallel universe, it is a a mirror universe, but it might not necessarily be the same one that Kirk jumped into. Or There, 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 there may well be a, an infinite number of parallel universes, but in every one, Harry Kim is still an ensign. <sighs> Garrett Wang, if you're listening to this, which I highly doubt, but if you are... I apologize for my colleague. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> He's like a few of my tweets. I, I appreciate the guy. And I, you know. No, no, there, there should be a parallel universe where he's finally, he gets the promotion over Tom because that was some BS. He does make captain once. And then that just was to, 37 years later. He crashed. He crashed. Um, and just to take the piss, he gave him the, a ship named after the smallest state in the US. I mean, what a kick in the teeth that was. Well, he was also flying uh, the Nova class, which is just a gorgeous ship. It was a great reason for oh, him to take it out. I mean, oh, that was, that was some Nova shit. Class is just, well, A, they had the model, I'm sure. But going back to your theory of the different iterations, I think we also 
to realize this is still a TV show. Yeah. Still different. To, you know, I, I, I thought, I, whoa, I love, whoa, 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 whoa. Steady on. I know, Chris. Historical documents. Right oh, Chris. These are historical documents. <laughs> Don't get him started. <laughs> once he starts, he won't stop. Yeah, I know. I know. I was trying to get him off at the past. If I talk faster than him, I can beat him. Oh, <laughs> that's how it works oh, at the dinner table, luck. right? You talk faster than your siblings, you win the argument. Oh, um, but no, I, I think I, there's certain things you can allow certain certain artistic and certain dramatic license you can allow with it being a tv show with mm-hmm. each series kind of being their own thing their own teams but there are certain aspects that you you still have to kind of go i i, I gotta stop it right there man and tell you this is garbage and so i bring as much as i like some of the changes that were made and it's still fun to kind of see that you still want some continuity with because you still assume that everything is happening in in the original truck series from the original series to enterprises all within the same universe. Unfortunately, they aren't being produced in the same way that technology is. Yeah, you're going to have a show 50 years later have technology that might take place during a time frame with the technology of that day and age. You know, look at how much, look at Lost in Space took place in 1997 and it had to get remade and they keep bumping up the date for it. When they, when the movie came out in 97, they made it like 2037. So I think we just have to allow the writers and, and understand that there is, things change and things get updated as technology and ideas come around. And yeah, it can still be in your same universe. You can still have the same continuity without kind of destroying that thing that you love. I do think the uh, Calvin timeline with the J.J. Abrams movies did the right thing and made them, made them their own thing i thought that was smart i really did i and as you can tell wearing the uniform from beyond i'm actually a fan of those i really am thank you somebody i can have I, right now you've seen as you two have double teamed me let's double team gregor because i, I love it i love a challenge let's go let's bring it on <laughs> because he's he is not a he is not a fan of please inform chris what you call the jj abrams films jar jar trick okay I, I'm, I'm with you on this chris i enjoy where they had the opportunity the films to go and do what they wanted and yeah. do something different don't know whether you agree with me or not i think the second film was a complete mistake i don't like the way that they rehashed the wrath of khan story i don't like how they changed it round at the end from kirk to spock and vice you know vice versa I know it's a. Uh, I know it's a, a different universe. I know it's a new timeline. They could have done something. I agree with you on that one. No, I. I actually just saw. I. I'd actually just seen uh, Into Darkness right before I went to the convention with. I actually met Melinda Snodgrass, who was a TNG writer, and uh, we. I'm not going to speak for her, but I expressed my my uh, my opinions about it. I thought story wise it was bad. I felt that if you had had uh, John Harrison, because everyone on I play Star Trek Online, and everyone's like, dude, it's con, and I'm like, no, they wouldn't be that. You know, they gave us you know. The reboot it was gorgeous it was lovely i loved it they wouldn't they wouldn't be that cliche and unfortunately they were they rehashed wrath of khan which uh, you know you get two different camps you get fans who absolutely love it to no end and then you get fans like me who went just even from a story standpoint i thought it was bad i would have loved to see a guy who was maybe you know a section 31 agent or a product of the federation rebel against it going no these are all the issues with it as soon as they did you know my name is khan i completely checked out everything else was fine Klingons were all right. I was like, all right, they changed Klingons in motion picture. They've modified the look. Jewelry was a bit much, but whatever. But it was just that whole storyline of he has to be superhuman in order to fight her. I kind of follow the honest killer's joke of you cure death with the super blood, where suddenly, you know, death doesn't doesn't matter anymore because, you know, you genetically engineered blood and boom, everyone's fine. You've got the uh, transwarp transporter and suddenly you can go from Earth to Kronos and you don't need starships anymore. It's just like there's a certain things, there's certain story decisions they in there just didn't feel right. Can I, um, can I, can I just double check? Yeah. Here? This ahead. is the two of you ganging up on me about the JJ films, is it? Is that right? Yeah. 
Not yeah. really. We're getting we're kind of ganging up on on into darkness. So, you know, it's yeah. Like, you're sitting there like, no, no, I grew that. I grew that. It's like. I think I think to be honest, the, 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 the one thing we're supposed we can, to be fighting me, and you're agreeing with me. The one thing that uh, we I think we all three of us can agree on is uh, into darkness. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the first film then. Let's let's talk about the first yeah. film. I particularly liked it. Thought it was brilliant. Chris Hemsworth. We need him to come back. We need something. We need, they need to do something with him. You know, as Kirk's dad. Brilliant. For me, what I liked about it was the fact that the casting in the film was bloody brilliant. I think the people they picked for the roles were spot mm. on. They played the roles really well, respectfully. Chris Pine did a wonderful job as Kirk. He, he, he managed to capture the essence of Kirk without imitating him, if that makes any sense. He didn't yeah. sort of like just do a carbon copy of what Shatner did. He, so Greg, he did yeah. Um, but yeah, so like I say, um, that's what I like about where they went with it. I thought, brilliant, the first film set up a new timeline. I genuinely thought the the, the nod to Spock bringing Leonard Nimoy in, I thought that was I thought that was great. Some people I've spoken to didn't like that. Why did they have to bring him into it? I don't know, but I particularly liked it. Jumping forward to the third film, I liked how they basically paid their respects to him in the third film. The Kelvin timeline, Spock gets the, the tablet and... Yeah, the dates on there. I thought that was brilliant, and I think that's something that's sort of caught on with Trek because they did that recently in season three of Discovery with the USS Nog, paying tribute to yeah. Aaron Eisenberg. I <laughs> thought that was. I mean, I fanboyed out when I seen that. I had to go back and rewatch it because I was uh, sort of jumping up and down like a giddy schoolgirl when I saw the Voyager J. When somebody pointed out, oh, the Nog, I went. Whoosh. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, love it. On the subject of That's that. That's an Eisenberg-class starship, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, he wanted to do that. He, want, he, he always said that from the start that he wanted to get something into Discovery that would pay tribute to Aaron, and he, he did. But yeah, on the subject of... On that particular subject, Gregor, yes. The nods, the Easter eggs. You didn't see the latest, the, the, the Mirror episode, Telefilm Part 1, did you? No, I gave up after episode two. You gave up after episode two, so you're out of this conversation. (laughs) So did you happen to notice, Chris, that the newspaper that Carl was reading? I was trying to, I've been trying to find screenshots of it. The only thing I noticed on there was the USS Dunolan was reported as missing. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to find screenshots on there of of, of just a clear image. You know, my plan was I was about to rewatch the episode today and just see if I can screenshot myself just to see everything in there because Michelle Paradise or Paradis, uh, the showrunner, posted a photo of, of that and was like, oh, you got to give this an H. You got to give this to an A. Give this to us an HD. The, the Easter eggs that our department would have put on there would have been just extraordinary. <clears throat> I mean, one of the ones that I, f- I, I found interesting was the, there's, there was a theory going around that uh, the gentleman with the glasses is the guy in Enterprise that is talking with the the Zindi. Is it the Zindi or is it the... Um... Are you talking about the man from the future? Yes, the man from the future, yeah. yeah. Um... That was debunked because it was it was said that had it gone to a fifth season, because they said it was it was Archer trying to trying to stop certain things from happening. But I love when these theories come out and, and they're immediately debunked. It's oh, like, I, think, <laughs> I think somebody mentioned there might be Q, which... For me, for me, just seeing that scene was a very, very, very original series sort of track up where you literally have a guy just sitting there and seems so out of place. And it just seems very sort of abstract track to me, which is brilliant. I thought it was great. It's like, this is a door. You go through it. Uh, and you're like, did you not read the brief? <laughs> and you know, he's just sitting um, there with a cigar and a newspaper and, you know, just out in the middle of a field, which 
in itself was kind of a, a, a reference to the original series, not the original series, but Discovery's opening opening scene yeah. in the desert where uh, Giorgio and, uh, and Burnham were at. But, it, was, uh, uh, it was something I noticed as well. I mean, the, the first yeah. thing that actually popped in my mind when we see this with this guy with the with the door and the, the newspaper and, the, yeah. and, and like you say, so out of place. It actually reminded me of story arc in Star Trek Online. You have to go through all these portals, and the guy is Abraham Lincoln. You've, if you've played it, you'll know the one. Yeah, yeah, the recent. Uh, yeah, well, no, not recent. But it was last year. Last yeah, year, yeah, yeah was it? Yeah. Of, uh, it's Galvin. Uh, it's Galvin event uh, where, uh, yeah, you have to go. Yeah, you, you go to the different timelines. You fight. I you know. You replay different events throughout the history of, of the show, and uh, uh, Sonequa uh, Martin Green makes an appearance too, as always voice wise. That's where you get those. That's where you get the seven rifles. Those are those are awesome. Anyway, uh, but it's. I, so, I can talk about Trek Online um, for a while, but staying with what you're talking about, just that's why I said it reminded me very much of Fast Track, track of like uh, Specters of the Gun, where because of just budget limitations, all they could do is like, you know, this abstract set or like a very minimalistic set, which to me just seemed to scream theatricality. You know, you watch a show in a theater and an office is literally just a desk with a chair and a phone and everything else gets imagined around it. Um, I mean, do you think going, because obviously um, Giorgio goes back to, now at first it took me a few minutes to sort of figure out yeah. what was going off, but she go, she gets sort of transported back now. I don't know whether this is actual or whether it's just in her head or what i don't know um but yeah, she gets tra- tapestry situation yeah yeah um she gets goes she goes back to the christening of the chiron by the way i think we actually see the mirror version of burnham i well i'm, I'm not i'm not gonna lie i was like damn i think i might actually <laughs> quite like this version of burnham i think uh I think it was another opportunity for Sonequa to act because I think that's something she's gotten in season three is the opportunity to act, to actually break out of a character a little bit and actually enjoy herself. And I think that's something season three is doing, doing quite well for her. But yeah, I, in don't, that I, episode... don't, I don't have a problem with her acting in Discovery at all. I never have done. I, I know a lot of the more salacious detractors of Discovery moan about the actors and stuff like that. And that's not one of the problems I have. I, th- I think the acting's perfectly fine. I think the lines are rubbish, but I think the acting's perfectly fine. Yeah, and I, I think what kind of scripts are you given? You know, being a writer myself, yeah, you always have to what make sure it? that what you're writing actually, you know, you know, the actors are only as good as various aspects of it. Well, it they... stuff. I've seen her in other stuff. She's, she's a perfectly good actress. I don't think she's Meryl Streep, but I think she's a perfectly good actress. What is yeah. it they say about scripts? Is it um, is it a good script can save a bad actor, but a good actor can't save a bad script? Yeah. I always thought it was the other way around. A good actor. Yeah, they're... Is it, so it's one way around or the other. It, it sounds like rubbish, but they can make it sound like poetry, you know, but it, it, it's all matter of the skill of the actor and how I'm trying to think of which show it was on or which, what I was watching, but it was like, you know, where they talk about like only this actor could have pulled off these lines. Like Eddie Murphy could only pull off saying certain things because of, you know, I know everybody else would, it would have sounded just cheesy, but Eddie Murphy manages to pull off a certain way of doing it just because it's how, you know, how he is. I like how they're being true to that mirror universe character. And, you know, you got to see, all these characters as opposed to, you know, one thing about having crossovers is you see the person from the prime universe going over and you never actually understood who they were replacing, which is why it was fun within a mirror darkly. And with parts of this episode is you get to see Captain Tilly as herself, as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, Tilly trying to be Tilly and trying to, you know, act as this person she knows nothing about. Whereas now you get to see kind of Mary get to really embrace that character to the full extent without having to play like three different layers to it. She can be truly, you know, malevolent with it and the same for the rest of the actors too you can kind of 
they don't have to play actors playing at, you know, they have to play crewmen playing crewmen. They, have, they can just be that character um, and not have to worry about making sure they've got, you know, they've got enough of each, which I'm sure is always try, is always a balance to do from an acting and from a uh, directing standpoint. I, I'm, I'm confused. I thought Murder Burnham was dead. This episode takes place before that rebellion. So it's all building up to, it's essentially Giorgio getting a chance to kind of stop Warga's betrayal. So at this point, and I think even going into the end of the episode is, it builds up to her basically killing Burnham for betraying her, but in this time she doesn't. So that's why we talk about it being a kind of a tapestry episode thing where she can she goes back in time. She she's able to kind of change what happens, and it's uh, for reasons unknown at this point. We can only speculate why she's there. Is it because you know is she going to prevent herself from going over, or is she going to prevent kind of you know the rebellion from happening, and therefore this sort of you know transgression or this crossover from Orca going over to Discovery? How will that change stuff, et cetera? Now, the entire episode is basically like the days leading up to the big betrayal and everything that happened throughout season one. I mean, I always so, thought the, the missed opportunity was not getting Prime Lorca back, but that was probably bud- I, budget, I probably have budget issues. Honestly, I have expected Jason to show up. Oh, yeah. that would have been cool. Probably, um, but, probably, could, they probably can't afford them for every episode. That's probably part but, of the problem. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I mean, they got. Uh, it, was fun, it was fun to watch this episode and just see all the characters who have either died off, like you saw Hannah Cheeseman in the background in, in the mess hall, which I was just like, oh, Hannah, Rekha, and all these actors who have basically died off from the series, you know, back on there again. So Hannah Cheeseman played, played Arium in season two, but she played a non, you know, non-costume version of her. Uh, and then Rekha Sharman played Landry, various aspects of Alan. According to uh, Rekha, she, they filmed this in December last year, so they were essentially filming this, you know, a year ago. But it was just kind of fun to see all the cast members kind of come back with this. Like they did it season one where Khan officer who died in uh, in Battle of the Binary Stars was back, was still alive in the mirror universe. So he got to kind of have, that actor got a chance to kind of have more screen time. I think the whole sort of seeing how it plays out, genuinely, Gregor, I think you should give it another chance. I mean, as much, just push through it at least once. It's at too least far once. gone for me. It's, it's it, too oh, far man, I understand. I understand. I, I mean, I, fair enough. We, you know, when we tried to watch, what were we doing for the podcast? And I had to rewatch. Oh, you had, you if rewatched memory serves. If Memory Serves. And there was one other as yeah. well, wasn't there? No, it was, uh, I had to watch If Memory Serves, which when I watched it, I actually thought, thought it was a good episode. And then when I rewatched it for the podcast, for a thing we were doing, few episodes ago i thought it was horrifically bad i just oh. could on a rewatch i thought it was terrible on a rewatch and now you and i are gonna fight i love that episode <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> awful cue the sound effects which i post ding, ding, ding. Uh, my experience of watching it the second time could not be further removed from my experience of watching it the first time so what do you think changed it was then? i I love that episode because of the Pike storyline and just because I'm an old softie for that. I thought the Brenham and Spock, the, la- the, th- the fourth act, I think it was, when they relive kind of their experience, was a bit over the top. That's just my personal preference. I know people who, you know, and I've had sibling rivalry, rivalries too. I've got five siblings myself who completely connected with that. But I thought the, uh, not the Philians, the Zelosians were fine. I just, you know, that one, that one scene just kind of threw me off. It was just a bit, the drama choice was a bit too much. But overall, I mean, I thought it was a great episode with how they kind of wrapped up what happened with Pike or where he was going. But, I mean, I, the Pike stuff was, like, a small part in our episode. Yeah. It's, it's, it's The parallel I would draw is Five's a bad film. You can watch it if you're a true Trekkie because you like... It, it's one of those films that's so bad it's good. 
if you're a Trekkie, there is a one great scene in it, and it's the euthanasia scene with McCoy and his dad. And that's like the Pike scene in If Memory Serves. You know, it's the one good scene. Um, I mean, ask me what was wrong with it, but... I started to watch it again. My first experience when I started to watch it, and it went, it went previously on Star Trek, and then it opened up with the the original Cage. The yeah. first time I, the first time I watched it, I went, "Oh my god, this is going to be a shit show!" Because they're now using old Star Trek to try and make this shit show better, and I was ready to hate it right from the moment they done that. And I actually, when I got to the end of the episode, I went, "Oh my god, they didn't, they they, they actually didn't take a turd all over it." They actually did okay, because I do feel that they actually treated the cage with a certain amount of respect and utilised elements of the story in an okay way. When I went to watch it the second time, I was actually prepared for previously on Star Trek and the stuff from the cage, and it didn't bother me. And then we jumped to Giorgio and Leland and this other character, and they're they're, they're diabolically bad, diabolically bad dialogue when they're having their Section 31 chats. It's like, why they don't all have twirly moustaches? Hey, and we're the baddies, and we're going to tell you that we're the baddies, and we're the baddies just because we are the baddies. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, this is shit. This is absolute shit. And the stuff with Spock, Kung Fu and all his social, uh, all his psychiatric nurses, it's just like, you know, the man that invented the neck pinch is now um, a black belt, eighth Dan, Vulcan martial arts killer. It's... Well, it's just banal. Keep going, man. What is the shit? It's, oh. I, I just, I, I barely made it through the episode the second time. In fact, I think... I'm going to enjoy this bit. I'm going to enjoy this bit. Please go on, Chris. It's always fun to understand why people don't like certain episodes. It's always fun to hear their opinion. And sometimes, like I said, you, as you guys have noticed, I'm not, you know, 100%, you know, yeah, let's discover everything about it. I'm like, no, there's there's good episodes and there's bad episodes. There's there's good writing, there's bad writing. So, no, I can definitely respect Gregor's, you know, take on Section 31, which I think was, has always been played as, you know, I literally have a mustache I can twirl, maniacally evil, which I think we need to get away from as a story trail. And even then, I think I wasn't a big fan of the Section 31 plotline this time around. It had good aspects and bad aspects, but it's still playing too much of the whole unevil mohaha. I think I agree with you on that one, definitely. Pure and and simply, I think for me, Section 31 was always that sort of in the background. You knew they were there, but only we as an audience knew they were there they didn't come out and then now i mean they did sometimes but yeah. you know there was that dramatic irony of we knew what was going off but the people they didn't know when is in discovery it's like oh hello i'm section 31 here it's after the morning to you yeah. it's like i mean the thing that starfleet was always starfleet section 31 only ever appeared in ds9 and enterprise yeah. And they were in the shadows and the Federation didn't even acknowledge that they that was a real organization officially. And then in Discovery you've got a Federation you've got a section thirty one officer on the bridge watching Pikes every move with the big black badge. Like he's either in the Gestapo or it's like the Hunt for Red October with where's who's the KGB guy on the submarine in the Hunt for Red October, you know? It's like yeah. what is this shit? This is all before I, we even. This is before we even get to season th- season three, and before we get to season three, which is why I stopped watching it, was when Starfleet turned into Federfleet because the writers didn't even know the difference between the Federation and Star Trek, uh, Starfleet. See, now I'm off on one. Now I'm off on one. Hashtag Federfleet. 
he's been... what the what the fuck? What the actual fuck is a commissioned federation officer, right, that sits in a chair for 40 years waiting on Burnham turning up, who's a Starfleet officer, and he says, I can't raise the flag because I'm not a commissioned federation officer. So the Starfleet officer, who's 900 years old, says, I make you a commissioned federation officer, doesn't even think to say, excuse me, what the fuck is a commissioned federation officer? That's a diplomatic body, and we're... Starfleet, what the fuck are you talking about, mate? Seriously. Hashtag Featherfleet. He has dying to been get that to into get a that show. Out. He has been. I mean, can you you, do you feel better for that, Gregor? Do you feel better now? Can no, do, no, do you need I'm to just, go lie? Do you need to go well, lie down? I'm actually even angry at myself now for watching it in the first place. <laughs> well, there <laughs> you go. From what is Happy Gilmore? It's like that is completely wrong. We are all now dumber. Everyone here is now dumber for having heard you say that. Is that kind of your take on, on that entire Federation's you know, Starfleet speech? I, for one, I... personally thought it was a very, um, I don't know, maybe I was just uh, Regency bias or something like that. I don't know. But I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it for what it was. It was a moment. Yes, Greg well, has some good mo. He has some good points and some what, valid points, but I enjoyed it for what it was. It was a, moment. a moment as well. You know that. That's... No, if I'm watching the TV and Sarah disappears and she says, I'm having a moment, that's code for taking a turd. And at this point is where we lose Christopher. He is. I think he's lost the audio, or he's at least pretending to have lost the audio. Yeah, sorry. Just having some audio issues. One second here. No, no, not from you. I was like, I was like trying to, I was trying to up it. I was like, but I want to hear more about this turd talk. Um... <laughs> To be perfectly honest with you, before Gregor actually gets to a point of uh, oh, perpetual yeah. motion and we cannot stop him. Oh, but don't say perpetual infinity. For fuck's sake, where did that come from in season two, perpetual infinity? Clearly the writers haven't looked up the word infinity. We've got perpetual right, infinity. Where, where, where did that come from? It's yeah, season I'm, two, I'm... perpetual infinity. Is that it's, the, it's one of the season two discoveries where they're talking about the, the Red Angel and, sorry, Iron Woman. They, they want to do something with her and put her into perpetual infinity because apparently infinity isn't enough. They've got to have infinite infinity. What, what is perpetual infinity? Something's either infinite or it isn't. You can't have perpetual infinity. They, they don't it even understand cool. the word infinity. Infinity is infinite. It That's it. Cool. That's it. It sounds cool because they don't look at a science book or a dictionary before they write it. That's the problem. <laughs> I've just muted him. <laughs> oh, no, he's fine, man. Like, I, I'm used to people yelling on the internet. I mean, I've been those guys before. I, you know, we, should we, we, we talk offline about it. Should we, should we let him back on? <laughs> um, yeah, go on. Yeah, man, you can always let him out later. There. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have been dying to do that for so many episodes. Just go <laughs> mute. I'm glad you. I'm glad I gave you the excuse of just the whole. And you're muted. And there you go. <laughs> um, okay, now he's just miming. He thinks he's being clever. But he's, he's just miming. You have been unmuted, Gregor. You can talk now. Don't want to. I'm not. If I'm not going to get the respect. <laughs> when are you? Sh- if when I'm not you... getting respect, I'm not going to talk. Simple as that. That's. Oh, I think I've hurt his feelings. No, tr- trust me, my my family is military, and just the various ways they their food, their 
Starfleet's fluid use of, of military ranks and, and uh, classes. It just, they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> it's fine, it's TV, it's whatever, man. It's, so um, is, um, is, it, is it naval or is it, is it marine? Is it, is it military? What that is, is always the question um, because it was not meant to be a quote-unquote military operation but they still use the rank structure. And so that brings in the question of how pacifistic they can be because and we can you know, bring this back to Discovery Season 1. When I first met Worka, I did not think he was Mirror Universe. I did not pick that up the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much picked up a guy who was going against his better conscience. But he knew for a fact, for the war effort, in order to win a war against an unstoppable enemy, he had to become something else. He had to push his team. He had to, you know, make sure that this that this spore drive worked for what they needed for the war effort. And that may have changed him from a very, you know, he could have been the most benevolent captain, but once he got this mandate from Starfleet to take this experimental drive, make it work so we can win, so we can survive, changed him into something else. And so, which is why I always thought it was him. And I can understand having white sensitivity uh, migraines, why his eyes would be a certain way, et cetera. So I understood, I never picked up the fact that he was quote unquote mirror universe. Especially because the light sensitivity was never mentioned before and anything else, but mm-hmm. that's fine. But I, I very much view him as a military man doing what most military commanders would do: make thing work. They were the quote unquote evil guy in all the movies against with scientists versus military. Yeah, you know, that it still brings in the question: what exactly is Starfleet's role? Is it peacekeeping? Are they NATO peacekeeping forces, or are they the aggressive force? And how do those roles get defined with? You know, they're different crews because we only seem to talk to the commissioned officers. We, we would talk to the, to the random transporter officer as Miles O'Brien, who was a non-com. And we only first time we ever heard specialist was honestly in Discovery. They had crewmen, which is the closest we got on the original series. We had that a lot of non-commissioned enlisted crew on TNG, but you never fully understood how that broke down with each department. Because there seemed to be 45 different lieutenants and, and, and promotions were, except in the case of, sorry, Garrett, Harry Kim, were done by as positions opened up or by merit. But the only person who seemed to get merit increases or merit rank rank increases were Worf and Tom Paris. On the subject of Tom Paris, I think the extra kick in the teeth there was that prior to getting lost in the Badlands, Tom Paris was a convict for all intensive purposes. And when they get into the Delta Quadrant, it's like, oh, well, um, yeah, well, we don't have any pilots. Uh, here you go. I'm granting you a field commission of lieutenant. His, and his name wasn't even Tom Paris. It was Nick Locarno. <laughs> unfortunately, and, and, and unfortunately, his lawyers required a name change because of this thing called the WGA. Um, I don't know what that is in Federation, but they required him to go into required him a a uh, name change to in order to uh, go on a secret mission for Section Thirty One. That's a good. I like but, that. That's a, that's the a thing good is, one. I mean. You know, Tom Paris became Nick Locarno, and then when his dad turns up in, is it season five, no, six no, or no. seven, his dad turns no. up in, he didn't even recognise that this joke, Nick Locarno had assumed his, his son's identity. Well, no, he, he, he so, so, so either, so either Admiral Paris adopted Nick Locarno and changed his name, or, <laughs> again, you know, or, or maybe he, maybe he's a mirror, mirror universe who crossed over and simply assumed his identity as a better version. This universe is, you know, Nick Locarno was evil. Was an evil bastard who got you know, who got Albert uh, Cadet Albert uh, Albertson killed. He crossed over, but his good person who was benevolent came over and went. Well, I have to change my name to be something better, and 
Admiral Paris is simply facilitating this entire change. We, um, um, I'm, trying to, I'm, 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 I'm trying to bring this around to the whole mirror, mirror, you know, yeah, mirror, mirror universe stuff. And it's, <laughs> and, and, and even start, you know, and then somewhere the rubber band's about to break, uh, just the stretching I'm doing. <laughs> oh, uh, to, you know, so to be honest with you, I was, you've saved me a job because I was going to try and spin it back round to the, um, to the mirror universe. <laughs> but you can see, things... you can see somebody's fan fiction doing this. You can see it in a novel going, actually just a, one final point on that though we have a program here in the uk called who do you think you are i don't know if they do something similar in the states where basically celebrities go through a genealogy journey and they discover who their ancestors were and that they were somehow miraculously related to winston churchill or something stupid like that i think that would make for a very interesting episode of who do you think you are tom paris you know it's like <laughs> Um, that would be a fun fan production or like oh. a like a or like a college humor i don't know that they still do stuff maybe it's open record to funny or die or just a sort of fan fun fan convention thing uh where they bring up like let's say uh, the actor they bring up the actor on stage they're like okay this is your life or you know they go through you know their sort of genealogy of like you know like who Blanda's grandparents were and they found you find out they they, would, they, yeah. they fought a kidimer or something like that you know that would be, I think, honestly, if there's anybody who runs conventions, when we go back to cons, which honestly I miss, I, I miss cons so much. This would be a fun sort of panel, fun activity for, for the actors who we bring them up because it's always fun to do the more fun stuff with as opposed to asking them the same 40 questions about their seven-year job. Um, it's always fun to kind of, you know, bring them up and go, this is your life and treating it like their retirement party because most of them are, you know, I like to say, near retirement age. I think that would be a brilliant yeah, I mean, idea and... Um... I think to be honest with you, the first person to start off with would be Robert Picardo because he would he would jump on that. I I think he. Oh, was... Robert Picardo would be. Like, I feel it at home. I mean, I've seen I've seen his Instagram. He is he's one of those actors who's just great, he's great engagement with with his fans. The same thing with oh, what else am I thinking? Uh, and we could we, we could even do we could even do it for Robert Picardo. We could do it for multiple multiple uh, franchises with him too. It's like all right, cool. You know, for, for the Trek panel, the, 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 this is Lewis Zimmerman's life. Uh, and then we can do his doctor character, or not his doctor character, his uh, his leader character from uh, Stargate. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 could show the wedding photos between him and the Gremlin from uh, Gremlins Two. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, what? Are, how are they getting on? You know, and, and I'm sure he would provide the you know, like, yeah, you guys can use this photo and this photo. Um, Welcome to the Johnny Cap. Guys are on board with it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, see what happened to the cowboy from out from from inner space. Uh, oh, uh, that, or, that, or bring in Martin Short for that one and be like you, you. That uh, photo face off haunts me. It oh, haunts me. The uh, cowboy from inner space. It haunts <laughs> me. But yeah, um, just let's just spin this around before we go off on one more tangent. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> We've been on tangents. Oh, let's put it this way. We've been at warp 9.5 for the last half an hour on the USS well, don't, tangent. Don't, do, don't go another 0.5 or we'll turn into salamanders. On that you, note. You brought it up. I might that one night. <laughs> that different episode, we'll have to get, we'll have to do that again. Greatest, we'll have greatest. to do an, an entire podcast on that one. That greatest is... episode ever. Threshold. And I love it. Love it. Right, guys. Unfortunately, the linear... Have you muted me again? No, I haven't muted you again. It's okay. People can still hear you. Don't don't make me push the button again. I'm losing confidence here. It's hovering. We're not trying to silence your voice. You're fine. Uh, don't worry. Like I say, guys, I think we, we need to sort of wrap things up a little bit here. But like I say, the linear nature of time is unfortunately unchangeable. We started off talking about Prince. We 
ended up talking about <laughs> Locarno. This is the wonderful thing about Spock of the Week. We just make it up as we go along. I would like to thank our guest, Christopher, uh, otherwise known as the Great Merman on Twitter for joining us this week. Thank you very much. I hope we haven't scared you too much. <laughs> this has been fun. Honestly, no, I appreciate you guys taking me on. And this has definitely been a lively conversation. Between and we, appreci- we appreciate um, you wanting to come on board because uh, you are one of two people that came to us and asked to be and said, I'll, I'll, you know, when can we do this? When can we do this? You answered the call. Uh, so appreciate awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And if anybody else wants to do that, we're always open. Please DM us. Well, um, well, I, I, the new so challenge is not finding new guests. The challenge is to get a guest to come on the second time because we've never managed that yet. No one's ever said I'll come back. <laughs> I think that was a... <laughs> It's more like, you know, you guys want me back. Yeah, I'll come back. This is fine. Gregor's like, yeah, never again. I'm sorry, we're blocked. Uh, Locked. Yeah. Uh, or if, you know, we get too much hate from the Garrett Wang camp, and I'm oh. so sorry, man. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. Believe me, I am I am a big fan of Garrett. Um, Garrett's great. I, I, think Garrett. He, I think he's an amazing yeah. person. Uh, the cat agrees as well. <laughs> But yeah, um, so Christopher, would you, uh, where can you be found? Would you like to, is there anything you would get out there? Was there anything you would like to tell people about yourself, where you can be found, how you can be found, if you're approachable, all that sort of thing? This is your opportunity. <laughs> yeah, you basically said um, I, I'm available on uh, Twitter at The Great Merman. I'm usually talking either politics or uh, <laughs> or Star Trek. Yes, I'm approachable. Uh, feel free to you know, shoot me a DM if, you've got any, if you want to have any civil conversations for the most part. Or you just want to geek out and say hi. Yeah, that's about it. Oh, that was beautiful. Beautiful. Brought a tea to my eye. Um... <laughs> I won't be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. We're uh, well, quoting generations there, so yes. <laughs> I love it when people get the quotes. It's beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> right, guys. Well, that leaves us to say goodbye from my good self. Uh, as always, you can find me at Alba Android on Twitter. You can also contact Spock the Week uh, at Spock the Week on Twitter. Um, if you want to come on the show or if you just want to comment on, if you want to tell Gregor he's wrong, by all means, DM and Gregor will duly ignore it and I will reply for him on his behalf. Uh, Gregor, where can you be found? What are you doing? What do you, would you like to say? We never give you this opportunity. It's always me. Um, well, I don't want anyone to find my Twitter feed. That's the thing. You know, it's... it's at Crabbit Ginger. <laughs> Sorry, one more time. Uh, at Crabbit Ginger, all one word. If anybody can't find him, please DM <sighs> me and I will put, I will tag him in the post so you can find Honest, him. Honestly, the, uh, this two meter distance and isolation is the best thing that's ever happened. It really is. Lockdown 2021. I'm sorry. Oh, and breathe. Are you going to finish this show in a professional manner or what? When have we ever been professional? <laughs> it's like a Midwest goodbye. It takes 20, 20, 20 to 30 minutes just to say goodbye. Oh, honestly, it's like bye-bye. bye-bye. No, you hang up. No, no, you hang up. Yeah. No, you hang up. No, you first. You I, can be found, I can be found on Twitter at Crabbit Ginger where I talk about politics, Star Trek, food, travel, and Scottish independence. And if you really want an interesting Twitter feed, tell him you love Discovery. Or voted for Brexit. Or, or voted for Brexit. Or voted 
no in the last independence referendum or voted Tory in the last general election or just voted Tory even once in your life and I'll have a word with you and on that note see you again next week guys live long and prosper live long and prosper don't vote Tory peace and long life guys <laughs>